Welcome to the Week in IndyCar on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets. Our guest this week, Team Penske Chief Mechanic, the championship-winning number two Chevy driven by Joseph Newgarden. That would be our pal Travis Law, our very first. I'm proud to say it, and I'm also mildly frustrated it took me this long to make it happen. Purely my fault, but our very first crew chief slash chief mechanic as a guest on the weekend in IndyCar. Recorded something with Travis, I don't know, maybe a year ago, that's still sitting in the can, and have done some other things with crew chiefs, but not as our primary guest on the week in IndyCar. So we're going to keep this going. We're going to get some really good folks on here from a variety of teams. And if you happen to have any crew chiefs, chief mechanics that you are fond of, let me know. And I'll be sure to reach out to them here in the coming months. Really fun conversation with Travis. Enjoying a week off uh, back home with family in Iowa. So appreciate his time being given here while he is away and not working. Lots of great questions as usual from you all. Really appreciate those. And it just seems the bar is set really high. Uh, Needing to filter out bad questions or whatever questions that might not meet the muster of our guests. It's really not an issue. It's not a thing. Uh, If anything, it's more a question of can we get to all of them? And I believe we got to about 90% of what you all sent in. As usual, we have some fun going on each week. Uh, Now that we've split your listener Q&A sent in for me into a separate show, tend to do a little bit of a, a deeper intro there than here. Now we're getting more or less straight to our guests. We'll mention very quickly, however, that with the weekly giveaway we've been doing with our partners at torontomotorsports.com, where the person whose question submitted via the Marshall Pro Podcast Facebook page, person whose question gets the most likes, the most attention, the most thumbs up, on the Facebook page there, we've been sending that person a TorontoMotorsports.com gift pack of Marshall Pruitt Podcast t-shirts, uh, beer koozies, stickers, mugs possibly. I don't know. We've got this new crazy Joe Tonto quarter retrieval t-shirt that I uh, really just decided I had to have Roger Wark draw. And my friends at Toronto Motorsports, Motorsports.com and I are selling now and we've actually been really surprised at how many have been sold so if you are a fan of getting things for free and while we do accept your questions each week via twitter facebook and the reddit indycar group the marshall pruitt podcast facebook page is actually the primary destination where we do the tabulation of whose question gets the most likes and that person is then asked during the q a show coming up here tomorrow most likely to send me their email address and get them linked up with torontomotorsports.com and we send you some free stuff just for sending in great questions so a little bit of house cleaning there last note if you have not checked it out we are now at 668 i believe that's what this episode makes episodes of the podcast that is all now contained on marshallpruittpodcast.com so if you're interested in any of our archive shows whether it's weekend indycar weekend sports car or my racing life and career features the short format catching up with the in-car audio the ambient audio the whatever else special features we've done 
All 600 plus episodes are waiting there for your perusal. So give that a look. We also have a subscribe page with most of the known ways to hopefully enjoy. You can hate listen as well, I guess, if you want what we do here on this little podcast. Another quick housekeeping item have been automatically pushing each episode out to YouTube. That's been a function done by my podcast host, Podbean. It uh, looks like YouTube has said, hey, uh, slow it down. So they've actually throttled that back. And instead of every episode automatically posting to YouTube as well, so folks can watch, listen, I'm not totally sure. Uh, within about 15 minutes of going live on Podbean, they've actually pulled that back to one YouTube submission per week. And so apologies to whomever prefers to listen. Or I've been told by one listener that they actually like the controls on YouTube uh, with allowing them for finer control of placing what they want to hear or rewind or fast forward. So unfortunately, it sounds like YouTube is not really going to be a big option going forward. But between Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, we're on Spotify, it should be should be plenty of other options out there for you to enjoy all right speaking of enjoy let's get going with our man travis law love this guy seriously just a really really good dude and i know that's going to come across in what you hear from him in the next hour on the weekend indycar brought to you by cooper tires the justice brothers torontomotorsports.com and bell racing helmets it is our very first chief mechanic leading the week in indycar and it's fitting because this is IndyCar's leading chief mechanic, crew chief, your brand new NTT IndyCar Series champion, that being Travis Law. I don't know about that new garden guy. I'm not sure he did much to contribute, but <laughs> you, on the other hand, my friend, that number two Chevy, I tell you, kicking a lot of behind this year. A, congratulations, and B, thanks for uh, being my first chief on the show. No worries. Thanks for having me. And with an intro like that, you know, I think the show must, uh, it's going to end pretty good here. So I might hire you for some more events. See, but, uh, Joseph makes us all look good. So don't take that away from him. Well, you know, one thing I think the team might need to do is show up for spring training next year with fake braces installed just to really <laughs> mess with his head. So uh, sorry. Like all right. So as usual, my listeners, Pretty amazing. Some of them a little deranged. If anything, it kind of models the uh, the host of the show, so that works out fine. <laughs> they sent Perfect. in a a lovely flotilla of questions meandering from the serious to the silly. So okay. le- let's get started with one Joseph New Garden. I'm not exactly sure who that is, but uh, I think the first question of the show goes to your driver, who asks okay. you, Travis Law, how long have you been a sheriff? And do you have any crazy stories that you could share from your time in law enforcement? <laughs> well, um, I've been a sheriff, uh, I guess, in, uh, you know, racing terms for since, uh, oh, I don't know. I was pretty young. I think uh, growing up in Iowa at, at dirt tracks, I, I think it's a requirement as a driver to have a nickname. Uh, and And sometimes you don't get to choose that nickname. Uh, if you have pretty good friends and which I had a pretty great group. So, uh, yeah, it started pretty young in my, in my driving career. Um, 
as far as good stories, I don't think I was uh, ready for law enforcement. Uh, ended up in, in racing because a couple of my friends had to bail me out uh, a few times at the racetrack. So maybe it wasn't the best uh, nickname to have. But uh, <laughs> it's definitely carried on. Some some guys at Penske definitely like to, uh, you know, keep that going. I, I take a bit of heat for it now and then. And they got a special badge for me every once in a while. So, uh so yeah, it's it's treated me well though. It's uh it's it's made a pretty good run this far. I love it. Well, I am the third generation Marshall in our family, and okay. I am told, hopefully this wasn't complete BS made up by my family, but <laughs> I am told that the name Marshall is simply stemming from the fact that uh in the 1800s uh, we were just that. Uh we were law enforcement, we were marshals in uh, the Very Mississippi cool. Territory and whatnot. So, yeah, either that's a great story that's real. My dad just made it up when he was drunk one night. We're going to go ahead and uh, <laughs> just leave that to uh, to the rest of the world to figure out. I like it. I like it. Let's go to our pal Andrew C., who asks, Travis, what path did you follow to become a chief mechanic in IndyCar? He says, were you a basic grunt like Marshall in uh, his story and working as a mechanic in lower formula classes, internships, engineering degrees, etc. He says, I find the road that takes one to the job you have fascinating and also says thanks for coming on the show. So what was the path that brought you to uh, multiple IndyCar championships in the series? Yeah, the path for me um, just grew out of a passion, you know, to start with much like most people and that, you know, I grew up in Iowa, um, any dirt track, you know, they'd let me in and, and, uh, anybody I could help and, uh, along the way, which is a lot of people and, uh, then decided, okay, I want to do this for a living. And where am I going to be able to do that at? And, um, you know, North Carolina at the time, you know, with NASCAR and it's, um, you know, popularity that it is seemed like the, the right place to have the most opportunity and uh, went down there and, and went to a tech school there. And luckily, you know, some guys took a chance on me at Penske, um, really based off the fact that uh, they worked with the guy that ran the local racetrack in Iowa, which I didn't know at the time. And uh, so, yeah, here I started at Penske Racing um, on that uh, Porsche RS Spider, such a beautiful program and car. And, uh, I was a tire guy. I started out, went to my first test, was uh, our biggest Michelin test of the year, if I remember, and a bit overwhelmed and maybe a little underprepared for that. But, uh, you know, some great people helped me then and continue to help me now move up. And, um, yeah, just worked on that spider program, obviously, till it ended and stepped up as a mechanic uh, the next year and, you know, got to work with some great people along the way to uh, – you know, let me take a little piece of what they do well and maybe mold myself into what I thought that should look like. And, um, again, they took a chance on the IndyCar program and, uh, yeah, we're here today talking about it. So, you know, can't thank those people enough for, you know, always taking that chance. I love the fact that your first job in pro racing is with team Penske. I've told you (laughs) that before. It's just, I, I say that as a guy, and granted, and some folks think I'm just being falsely modest, I was a good crew member. I wasn't great. I had moments, I had flashes, but uh, <laughs> some of the donkeys that I worked for, 
don't even have you they don't even have wikipedia pages there's they're too small too bad too whatever to even warrant uh, acknowledgement so i do love the fact that uh as andrew mentioned yeah there was a grunt like aspect to my ascension if ascension is even the right word uh up on the team side you on the other hand start at penske and you know uh you might just retire there because it seems to be working out for you let's go to uh, yeah. our our pal uh Jamin tuttle asks Travis, what are the typical duties on a race weekend for the chief mechanic? And he also says, bonus question, best prank you've pulled on a driver. <laughs> well, the second one, I don't think we can share on this, uh, on this format. But there's, Statute there's of limitations have yet to expire, yeah. I, I, I guess. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But they, they are good. Trust me that the drivers do uh, take the brunt of some, uh, some good jokes by crew members. Your imagination can run wild there. Uh, as, as far as the first question, really, um, you know, if we've done our job at the shop and, and built a race car, that's, that's ready when we show up, as far as a a preparation standpoint, um, you're really kind of managing the weekend. You're, you're managing, you know, if we unloaded well or not, um, you know, how many changes you're going to see, um, you kind of prepare for each track differently, whether it's a road course or an oval, um, you know, what you have to do as a chief and preparation can make your life easier. You know, if you take a notes, looking back at similar events, prefits, um, you can do yourself a lot of favors in those regards. And as long as everything goes well, obviously you're, you're just managing, you're just getting along. Uh, we have great plans as far as what we're going to do before qualifying or the race or the warm up. And if that doesn't go to plan, then I think that's really your best uh, opportunity to shine as far as reacting and, you know, what you're going to do, you know, what your spare level prep was. And you can, you can get yourself out of some jams by being prepared that most people don't see. Uh, and that that's, what's going to kind of save you in those, you know, tough moments. So as long as there are things, well, it's, it's, I'd say it's pretty easy uh, when it's not going well. Um, I think that separates, you know, the guys that have done their homework and not, and, Obviously, at Team Penske, we rely on each other a lot. So the other guys, if if you're having a bad day, I think Mid Ohio was a prime example. There's there's a great pick of every other crew member as far as you know whether it's Will Power or Simon. We got a pretty big group working on Joseph Newgarden's car to get it back together. Um, those are some special moments that you try to create that environment or be a part of that environment when it's on the other foot. So really, you're you're a manager of circumstances and and people uh, to get that result that we're all looking for. Share if you would, Travis, for folks who fortunately come out to the IndyCar races and walk around the paddock and see what's happening under the tents or in the garages. So if we're looking at, say, a Friday, on average, the first practice session is going to be in a rotor street course, 10, 10, 30, something in that range, last about 45 minutes. Then usually three, four-hour break maybe, sometime maybe two o'clock or so. Again, it can vary a little bit, but you'll have three, four hours maybe between sessions, but you're going to be rolling early in the morning, get to the track, uh, do whatever that you need to do, whether it's final setup-wise or maybe there's a last-minute gear ratio change. You're going to run through your checks on the car. But in terms of once you get through that first session, knowing that you have an afternoon session coming that's not too far away, most fans sure. will notice that the cars tend to stay on the ground 
In some cases, they'll go up on the high stand. But at the end of the day, pretty almost every team has their car up on the high stands doing you know some significant work. Share with folks mm-hmm. a difference between, say, after the first session where most times car will stay on the ground. You might put it on low stands, but it's not jacked way up in the air. Why right. is it in that state after the first session, and why is it in a different elevated state, and what are you doing differently at the end of the day that they might uh, look for? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, that, that first session, you know, like on a Friday, like you say, you show up with the car is you know, brand new, if you will. I mean, everything is is ready. There's, you know, you obviously don't try to show up with any issues. And, uh, you know, typically you can kind of skate through that first session on a street course. You're going to you're gonna beat the skids up pretty hard. And, you know, you may, oh, uh, front wing end plate may need some work. Um, but but typically you, you can make it through one session without uh, any major repairs, you know. Uh, but that second session, that's when those, those, Curb strikes, uh, you know, maybe a couple offs, uh, throwing some grass in the radiators. Um, they start to take their toll. And, you know, every night you have to take that opportunity as in that you don't, you know, you have all night in a way to prepare for that next day. And obviously on a Friday, you know, come Saturday, we're, we're talking now qualifying is, you know, only one more session between now and then. So, you kind of got to get back to that level of how you left the shop and, and really got to have a good look at that as well. So that's, that's why you'll see us at night come up in the air. And, uh, you know, the typical thing is come up and have a look a, eh, and see what you got. Um, if you've missed anything during the session, but yeah, you're going to throw some new skids on it for the most part. Um, depending how the driver feels about brakes or, um, you know, you may swap those around, uh, you're going to take the opportunity to probably dyno some dampers that you don't need to between sessions. And a lot of what we do on the weekend is you're managing the time available. You know, in a perfect world, you would that that car would be ev- no stone unturned, perfect every detail. But you obviously can't do that in two and a half hours. So you're you're really just managing that time available. So at night we have more time. We're going to set ourselves up for the next day. Um, in the best way that we can. I love it. You also often will see torque wrenches come out, and not as if you have to do a complete top-to-bottom nut and bolt, but at least for me, I was always paranoid. Uh, I had a bolt fall out, a lower front-lower suspension arm uh, bolt fall out once on a junior formula car I was working on, a uh, uh, sports car, I should say, and it haunted sure. me. I mean, it it haunted me. Luckily, the car wasn't too badly damaged. Driver wasn't even too upset, but it just, uh, I yeah, missed those, it. Those moments. I missed it. Yeah. Ah, brother, that happened in 1989, and I'm still mad at myself. So, <laughs> you know, but just again, for those who, who love watching and observing, it's really cool to see how teams, how a leader like Travis will have, you know, his, his I would say coworkers. I mean, you might be the person in charge of the car, but you're not treating folks like they're orderlies or subordinate. It is really a team, but it's cool to see right. the culture that a Travis yes. will set up. And you might walk down to a different team and uh, after a different session and see how they go about their business and just uh, a little bit of train spotting, looking at the nuances. But yeah, you can see those who like Travis, some of your teammates there, 
who are kind of calm folks doing your thing. Some other tents you go over and it's like, man, who is it? Are folks mad at each other? Did, did someone pass <laughs> gas? I mean, everyone's all riled up and they're trying right. to work. So anyways, interesting to uh, spot those differences. All right, we're going to move into a section of questions here. I had to move towards the front. Okay. First one, buckle in here. First one's from Christian Denevsky. He says, I feel as though Joseph is hiding something from all of us. Travis, do you know the origins of the mystical chalice of excellence? You know, uh, this this chalice uh, and these origin stories, I we, we shared a couple... Um, but, uh, you know, we've run a lot of tests on that chalice. Um, all of them have came back inconclusive. Um, a lot of partners helped us out on these tests. And, uh, you know, if Joseph's hiding it, um, I don't know about it. And uh, it's really something that this team has embraced and uh, haven't got to the bottom of. But it's definitely, uh, you know, the powers are, are real. You know, we've, we've felt it this year. And, uh um, whatever secret he's got, it's working. So we're we're going to roll with it. See, I've been preparing to break a story that it's actually made from unicorn tears. Still <laughs> working on that second source, though. I only have one source. So as soon as got I get it. that second, I'm going with it. And I don't care. You guys are just going to have to deal with it. Uh, we'll pick up the pieces. We're going to go to Ryan Terpstra, who asks, where does the Chalice of Excellence reside right now? And asks, did Bathurst 1000 winner DJR Team Penske's Scotty McLaughlin try to get his hands on it after his Bathurst pole and victory. Well, it's, it's current uh, holder is, uh, is Timmy Yerger. I think he's got, uh, we gave him a couple extra days to, to enjoy that since he was the last one and based off our results. So it, it's going to come back to uh, the mothership, if you will, at, at team Penske. And, you know, I think uh, we've got a couple of meetings with Joseph and we're going to have to really hash out, uh, you know, the rest of its off season and future life. I don't, I don't think we've set that in stone yet. But uh, as far as teammates looking for it, I, I don't know if Scotty reached out for it or not, but I can tell you other IndyCar drivers at Team Penske uh, may or may not have tried to acquire the chalice at uh, some key moments this season. So uh, you saw the handcuffs come out in the case, I think. Yep. And, uh, you know, they were needed. It wasn't, you know, just for show. That was, uh, you know, trying to keep it in house on the two car. So uh, those other guys have had some pretty good looks at it, though. Ryan, also, we should throw in that the chalice is actually banned in Australia. So uh, it would be, yeah, (laughs) might have an issue getting it there to Bathurst. Going to go to Nathan Cook, who says, Travis, what effect has the Chalice of Excellence had on the morale of the crew for the number two Chevy team? Also, should we expect it to return next year for another championship run? You know, on the on the first part of that question, it was really cool for me. Uh, I think a lot of the guys would agree. You know, Joseph and um, I think Gavin and Josh and myself, we, we sat down. I don't know. We were having a you know beverage out one night and said that you know we want to do something to recognize every person you know of our group and the effort they do because you know much of it gets overlooked and you can't possibly sit you know down and thank every person enough for what they do and we thought you know we need we need something to pass around to recognize uh, 
you know, maybe above and beyond was how it, you know, our envision was if some guy did a great job, we want to make sure that everybody in our group sees that and understands that job they've done. And that's really, you know, what it was, our vision of it. And I got to say it, it nailed it. Um, it was really cool. We didn't plan this, how it was going to get passed and, you know, a speech and, and that just was very organic. And it turned out that every grid, um, you know, the guy who's had it's going to give it out. And uh, that recipient just, like I say, organically decided that, hey, we're going to we're going to talk about that a, a bit and what it means to me and what this group means. And uh, that was really cool to see. You got guys that, you know, were typically pretty quiet and you wouldn't expect, uh, you know, much to say that they had a lot to say. And um, that was pretty cool. So that was definitely something that I look back on and and think we nailed it uh, on that part. And I hope everybody took some pride in that when they received it. And it's really just about recognizing your effort. And that was, like I say, that was just perfect. So uh, as far as next year and beyond, we honestly, we haven't talked about it. Yeah. I've I've uh, heard, I've heard the chalice it's lawyer, those contract negotiations, not pretty, (laughs) seriously, not not pretty. I mean, and I know new garden would have to fork out a lot of money to retain its services, but maybe that's apropos, right? I mean, look what it's delivered. Right. Yeah, it's hard to say. We'll we'll talk about it. We'll see what uh, what Joseph thinks and Gavin, and uh, we'll go from there. I, I know one of the guys wanted. Uh, I don't know if you've been to the shop, but all the all the Indy five hundred helmets uh, are up front when you walk into the the main office. And somebody tried to get in Tim to uh, see if we can maybe get a, a special case for it up front. So we'll we'll see what happens there. Two final questions on the chalice here. From some person who, for a number of months, I wrote was from England, then decided to tell me that he was from Canada. I think it might have just been, he might be a spy. It might all be, he might be a double Mm. agent. A person named Gavin Ward, not sure exactly who this character is, says, rumor has it, the Chalice of Excellence was received in exchange for your left kidney and two bitcoins in a dark web barter with an unnamed foreign nation and all the other origin stories are simply part of an elaborate cover-up. Travis Law, confirm or deny? Well, Marshall, you know, a statement like that, uh, obviously he's done his homework. And, um, you know, he's, he's tried to get to the bottom of this. And we do appreciate that effort from him to uh, put forth that effort. But, you know, I, I just can't touch that one. That one's uh, a little too close to home, I think. A man who might have surrendered a kidney in order to gain access to the chalice. That's amazing. This same Gavine Ward person sends in one final to close. Rumor has it the chalice is made entirely from Iowa corn. Travis Law, confirm or deny? Well, I'll say it's a coincidence that, uh, you know, the remodel of Kinnick Stadium here in Iowa City was done at the same time that the chalice arrived at team Penske, you know, coincidence or not, I'm not sure, but uh, I think that's as far as I can go with that one as well. Joseph Newgarden's seat in the number two Chevy. Another maybe possible uh, revelation here made from corn husks. So, you know, there, there could that possibly from the corn husks that birthed the chalice of excellence. So, 
boy, I think we're, we're finding out a lot here. We might, we might have this nailed down. I'm still chasing the unicorn tears angle, but I have time. We're going to go to our pal, Windy Carr, who says, does Travis feel their team is on the cusp of a true dynasty, winning two out of the three last Aster Cups? He says, dynasties are interesting things in sports. Asks, do you guys talk about that together? Patriots, the Warriors back in the day, the Cowboys, Bulls, Yankees, Penguins, etc. Is that something you guys allow yourselves to soak in at all? What you've achieved in such a short amount of time since Joseph arrived? Or is that not something you really want to crack open? That's that's a good question. I I think, uh, you know, the mindset at Team Penske may be a bit different than you know, uh, some places, not just race teams, but just places in general, sports teams. Uh, you know, I think what we strive for, um, I know when I was a chief, my first meeting with Clive was, you know, we expect to be fastest every session, get every poll, win every race. Um, so I, th- I think we don't really talk about dynasty um, I don't think that it's anybody's afraid to talk about it, um, but we do expect to be in the hunt every year. We we expect to run up front at Indy. We expect to win races, and I think that's what really drives the team. So if if that turns into a, a dynasty by some definition, uh, then great. Um, but we're just trying to win as many as we can, and uh, you know represent roger and the team in the best light that we can so that that's the number one goal and whatever comes from that um that's positive we'll we'll, you know we'll take it sure but and i think that speaks to it doesn't happen that often but there are times in major sports where a team wins a title and there's a sense of holy crap, how do we do that? And, there, you know, there's this right. miraculous angle to it that amplifies the celebration and, and maybe causes folks to remember it more than some others. I don't think I'd be speaking out of turn and saying there are huge celebrations when Team Penske wins NASCAR, IndyCar, V8, whatever, championships, sports cars. There's also an element of, this is what we expect to do. This is what we're hired to do. We don't expect to do it out of ego and, and that kind of thing in a negative right. way, but we were hired to do this. We were hired because they believe that we as a team could make this happen. We, you know, in effect, we're doing our jobs. So you never expect a championship, but there's an expectation you're going to be in that hunt, in that mindset the entire time, which maybe takes away a little bit of the holy poop what just happened uh but that still doesn't mean you don't celebrate it but ultimately you wake up in the morning thinking that title's coming home to us right now you get everything right nailed it there yeah you you nailed it that it's not an ego driven uh thing i think that's important for everybody to understand it's just that you know that is the expectation and what we strive for and you do feel a bit i know for myself uh you know, this year, my first championship on a car that that won, um, you, you did feel like you did your job, you know, and, and that was pretty rewarding. And, uh, I mean, that's, that's what we're trying to do, for sure. Let's go to IndyCar Nana, who asks, did Joseph name his car? Uh, Joseph? No. Joseph, uh, 
if he's named it, we, we don't know about it. Um, you know, I don't think it's a written uh, thing at Team Penske. I, I know my time with with previous Chiefs, uh, every car gets named uh, as it comes in new. So it's kind of got one shot. Typically those cars are Indy cars as we get a new chassis. And um, so typically it's not the drivers that name them that I've been with. Maybe one of the other cars, there's been a, a different name. So I'm... Um, I think this year now uh, we'll see how it all works out, but there's a good chance, you know, Joseph may have a new car for Indianapolis this year. So we, we would definitely be uh, reaching out and uh, as a group coming up with a name probably for that one. So we'll see if anybody's got any good ideas. Captain you know, Sexy hit, Pants. Hit him up. <laughs> yeah, definitely Captain Sexy Pants. Let's go to uh, Frederick Wakeman who says, Travis, for question, he says, we Swedes like IndyCar. He says, one Swede who came over early for American IndyCar racing is Matt Janssen, who currently works as Will Power's crew chief. He says, I've worked with Matt when he was uh, part of his big brother's car in the Swedish Formula 3 series in the 1990s. He's a winner. Winners in motorsports are often silent when they find something that makes them fast. Frederick asks, how much information do you share with the other crew chiefs on the team Penske IndyCar programs. Yeah, good, good question. Uh, you know, as far as, as far as Matt, um, he was my first IndyCar crew chief. He's the best. Um, and the only IndyCar crew chief that I actually had before becoming one myself. And, uh, yeah, pretty humble character. Um, not going to get a lot out of him as far as all the things, all the success that he's had in his career. And he deserves all of it. And, and much more. Um, I wouldn't be in my position without Matt being in his and the time he's given me is, is unbelievable. Um, and he's not the only chief that's, that's helped me on the way, but, uh, the time under him, uh, I learned, you know, how to do it the, the Penske way, which is, you know, sort of the right way. I feel, uh, how he goes about his job every day is, is unbelievable. And the, attention to detail that he brings is, is very cool. And I think he set that standard at Penske for a long time. So, uh, yeah, Swedes for sure know how to get it done. Matt, Matt's a, a huge part of our success every year and will be for a long time. And that leads right into the second question of we, we share everything. Um, I think I, I haven't worked on another team, but I've worked on this team and whether it's engineering, whether it's crew chiefs, drivers um it's about the group 100 percent. and uh you know we've set up a lot of tools just for the crew chiefs that are we've made and we share those and all throughout the weekend there's text messages on our group back and forth of uh you know hey look out for this in the middle of a session or i did this pre-fit you know um questions it, it's all open i mean you very easy to work with all these guys. And, and like I say, a lot of that comes from the work that's been laid before you. And a lot of that works was done by Matt. So hopefully we can continue uh, that open relationship for many years to come. Would say that another just quick distinction to make, you know, that you go into every race with three drivers that could fill the podium at every round. All three will be vying for championships every year that they're driving for Roger. And, you know, maybe some a little 
closer uh, odds-wise than the others, depending on how things pan out. But we think of the drivers mostly in IndyCar. If we move to IMSA, for example, we think of the team, right? Dane Cameron, Juan Montoya just won the championship for Accurate Team Penske. At least just the differences, as you know from your time in the ALMS, we tend to think Accurate Team Penske first, and they won the driver's title. An IndyCar driver first doesn't mean that uh, there isn't competition between crew chiefs, between, you know, left rear tire changers across all three cars <laughs> wanting to be the fastest and the most accurate. There is a little bit of a difference, though, where Simon Joseph and Will might be, you know, going into the last round all tied in points and which driver is going to win the title. They're going to be fighting tooth and nail. Of course, their crews, your crew, will be doing the same thing, but on the on the non-driver side it is a little more like that sports car mindset of you guys are the team and you want the team to win the championship if it could be your car and driver even better but just a minor distinction there yeah there is and you know i think in my time at penske that's gotten even better from a, a team standpoint uh you know we've changed some things at the shop how we prepare our race cars it isn't just the two car, if you will, on the race weekend that builds Joseph's cars back at the shop. You know, we move some people around and have some different groups um, to build consistency among those race cars. That's really our, as mechanics, um, that's probably one of our number one goals besides obviously safety and reliability. But consistency among the cars is so important, no matter whose it is, Joseph's, Will's or Simon's or, you know, I, I, we take a lot of pride in the past couple of years, Elio being able to show up at the Grand Prix and at the Speedway and, and being the exact same equipment um, as the other three guys doesn't maybe get seen by everybody. But, you know, within our four walls, I know it gets seen. And that also makes those wins by whatever driver or success by any driver a little more special. If you're on the other car and you see them in victory lane, you know, maybe you bolted that front suspension on or put that rear end together. Uh, it just helps build that team atmosphere sort of one for all. And, you know, a lot of times that can be tough in IndyCar when you have different names, different partners on the sides of race cars where those decisions are a little harder than, you know, the sports car team where it's accurate team Penske on everything. One wins, you know, the same people win uh, similar in formula one where in IndyCar you had the same team with, you know, different people possibly contributed to the, you know, the financial side of it. But from a crew side, we, we definitely feel like it says Team Penske on all of them. And um, I think it's a great way to approach our day-to-day -day operation. Let's go to Eric Harkrader. So this one's for the both of you guys. What advice would you give to all the folks out there who maintain their own race cars? What lessons can we learn from the pros? So what's, uh, what's something you might suggest to Eric and others who are wanting to uh, get a little bit of pro-grade tips on improving their maintenance or performance? Yeah, I think it really comes back to the basics. Uh, you know, growing up, maintaining my own race car, uh, if I could go back and do it again, you know, it's easy to jump on these, uh, oh, I don't know, if somebody came up with whatever part that's going to, you know, lower that lap time for you. Uh, chances are you could save that money 
uh, on that part. And if you could go out and spend another two hours on pure preparation and being able to make your car the same every time you go out, you're actually going to find the lap time there, you know, much quicker and much more consistently. So, yeah, just basic preparation, good notes, understanding changes. Uh, I think you'll find lap time there more than you will in a, a dollar amount for the local, you know, the local guy out the track. I'd say, Eric, and this is this comes to mind because I just found it. Uh, back when I worked, I think my it was my first professional race team that I worked for as a mechanic, Fife Ridge Racing at Sears Point. Uh, if anybody knows, or you may know, uh, Travis, crazy Matt Swan from Chip Ganassi Racing, who's been there forever. Matt and I came yeah. out of that shop at the same time. Uh, Eric, okay. I found the old 1988-1989 Fife Ridge Racing nut and bolt list. It's just on a eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. And, you know, there were a million photocopies of that made. And that was our template for all of our customer cars, even the the pro racing ones where we're going to Atlantic races or lights races, whatever it was. And I'll tell you, if you're doing this, you know, club racer, amateur racer, something where you just want to enjoy your weekend as much as possible, overstating the obvious here, but racing is about adapting to change. Everything is constantly changing. You could have problems during the weekend, a variety of things could pull your mind in a lot of different ways. A lot of different distractions are possible. I'm a list-based guy because I know that my mental hard drive is small and I can forget things very easily and quickly. And so the one piece of mind I would say that uh, would, would say for everyone to apply to their own race car prep is come up with a nut and bolt list. Uh, and that nut and bolt isn't, you know, it's just called the nut and bolt list. It isn't restricted to just tightening nuts and bolts. It's right. checking fluids. It's inspecting clearances. And, you know, the wheel bearings have any play and all manner of things. And if I, I'll try and find it again. I can uh, scan it and post it if anyone wants it. Let me know. But And it's old, and I'm sure there are far better. But that's one of the things, Eric, where I would say having that list that you can work from in your prep and know that you are truly ticking all the boxes so that when you get to the track, as Travis mentioned, when you roll out, you don't, you don't have to worry about, did I put gas in the thing? <laughs> yeah, is the battery charged? Is yeah, there it's the, it's the simple fluid stuff in that the, always catches you out. Yeah, yeah. the clutch, is there fl- fluid in it to make it work? And, you know, anyways, a variety of things. Um, hey, has my fire bottle expired? You know, just that's the thing where, the more things I can take off of my brain, the happier and the better things seem to flow. So that would be that. And the other one, just the obvious, is the packing list because the there's nothing worse. And I know I'm sure you've had to do it. We've all had to do it, Travis, where you go to the team next door, the guy next door, and, hey, but can I borrow uh, some tie wraps? Or do you have a, this size nut or bolt? And, you know, the, Usually folks are happy to help, but at the same time, usually also get that look of, hey, uh, well, why don't you why don't you take this a little more seriously, pal? So yeah, that's another yeah, thing too. Sure. Uh, let's see. Let's get a couple of, of personal questions here. Jordan Darwin says, "Travis, what do you do in your free time?" Says, "Do you have a hot rod? Do you would you restore an old Indy car given a chance?" And he also asks if you have a favorite moment in your racing career. Uh, the first one really is spend more time at the racetrack, uh, whatever racetrack that might be. That's closest uh, at the time yeah i think uh one cool thing that we 
we did a couple of years ago was a 24 hour lemons race. Yes. Uh, and I mean, those that's, I would do it tomorrow if I had the, the time to get it done. We, we still have it and we haven't had it back out, but yeah, I think in this, you know, profession, it, it is a passion and it's gotta be a passion for you to be able to do that. Uh, you know, spend much time away as we do. Um, and we, we love it. So anytime that we can do that, you're going to find us back out there, I think. Um, and the second part of that, as far as a, a personal um, moment, uh, boy, it's tough. Uh, I I would say, actually, there was a year, a couple of years ago, you know, Elio goes upside down at the Speedway. Um, we have to get a car back out that day primarily to get, you know, he wanted to get back out that day. Roger wanted to get back out that day for confidence and um we hadn't had our spare cars built yet and to be able to get our spare car together with help from everybody uh in that garage and his second lap he went flat in the spare car that we got together with you know i think it was like 20 minutes left in the day um yeah i think everybody took a lot of pride in that moment and uh you know Again, it's not a race win. It's not a championship. It's not an Indy 500. But, um, you know, as a mechanic and being a part of that crew, uh, that, that was a pretty cool day for us and a lot of work and uh, definitely rewarded us for sure. Going to hit the home stretch here. Travis, starting off with a few questions about that crazy driver of yours. Rob Ball <laughs> asks, how easy is it to work with Joseph? He says he seems pretty laid back and not demanding when it comes to what he wants to get the maximum out of the car. Also, does he hang out with the team away from the track more than other drivers you've worked with in the past? And I'll just throw in here, maybe folks don't see it a lot, but there is a mildly neurotic aspect to young Mr. Newgarden as well. He can worry about (laughs) things. Oh, Joseph. uh, Yeah, he's pretty easy to work with. I think the caller, you know, uh, nailed it on the head there as far as, he is laid back, um, and actually, I've I find myself this year, uh, you know, getting to know him better and understanding, uh, you know, when he wants something or needs a change uh, more so than the first year because he is so laid back. You got to really, you know, pay attention. You find these details in him when he may not tell you he wants something, um, and that's been kind of a cool challenge this season. But he really is super easy uh joseph not only makes us look good on track he makes it easy for us you know back in the garage um yeah he's great to work with really enjoy it i think the second part of that was uh does he hang out with us and and joseph does enjoy uh you know getting to know the guys he takes you know several times throughout the year whether it's inviting us out to his uh his uh ping pong tournament uh for charity whether it's um, you know make sure he comes down in the holiday season and takes everybody out for a, a night on the town and gets our spouses out there, he, he really gets um, you know the work that everybody puts in, and um, you know f- for him to acknowledge us and our families, um, you know goes to show what kind of person he is. So yeah, he, he does a great job of spending time with the team, but he doesn't worry as much as you think. I gotta say he he. He keeps it to himself if he does, uh, and uh, if he opens up to you, 
about something he's concerned about, you're going to look into it because he doesn't show you that very often. So definitely if he's got something that's bugging him, uh, we're going to make sure we get it sorted because for him to bring it up, it's obviously bothering him. So now I, I can't imagine having an easier driver than Joseph, honestly. Wow. The maturation in new garden. I love it. Let's go to uh, Jack Homan who says, Joseph seems to praise the team at every opportunity. And he asks, does that translate to team morale or is that just window dressing for television? Well, anytime the driver acknowledges uh, the team, I think obviously the team knows when they've worked hard or, you know, if you haven't as a person, you know, if you've slacked off and had a bad day, you, you know it. Uh, but when the driver recognizes it as a group effort, especially when it's, you know, was a tough day, that um, that does a lot. And you can't buy that. You know, you could put a dollar amount. It, it would be a pretty high dollar amount, I think, to, uh, you know, get some sort of result that was even similar as a mention. So I think Joseph does it out of, you know, him paying attention, understand what everybody's going through. And I, I think it's pretty genuine anytime he brings it up for sure. Lance Snyder has one that's fun here, and I'll answer it. You don't have to if you don't want to, but you're, you're welcome to throw one in. Lance says, without getting into specifics like when and who, as a chief mechanic, what is the biggest facepalm moment uh, one of your crew guys has done uh, that you've either seen coming up uh, through the ranks or recently? I'll just throw one in to start. Uh, I was the crew chief on my own car, and one of one, so I was a crew chief and the, the junior mechanic and you name it. Uh, this was in uh, the SCCA Pro Sports 2000 Championship. I think it was Vancouver. Uh, IndyCar Weekend, probably, okay. I don't know, 1991 or two or whatever it was. And just before the race, uh, I think I was working on Bob Doricott Jr.'s car. And our, our overall team manager uh, made three gear ratio changes uh, within about a hour of the race and Ooh. so i'm just <laughs> um you know it was a uh, staff's gearbox and i'm just slamming that case open and shut it you know get it all ready to go and you know we're counting down oh no you know actually i'm gonna change third all right rip the thing open throw back in you know drain and fill and drain and fill well after the third uh, i don't know why there's no excuse but i forgot to put oil in it and so, yeah, uh, I was my own face palm moment with this one because we finished the race. I think it was, I don't know, half hour or so. So it wasn't crazy long. There must have been just enough residual uh, sitting in the diff casing and such. But uh, when the car came back, A, there was an extreme amount of heat from the back that I couldn't quite answer. And I'm exaggerating what I'm saying. It sounded like someone was, you know, frying up some bacon, but you know, there, there was some crispy sounds going on. And once yeah. it cooled down enough, I mean, once this nuclear explosion had cooled down enough, um, open up the gearbox and all the, uh, all the gears, Travis, they were really, really pretty colors of blue. Um, <laughs> So, and I got reamed for it. And the team manager slash guy making the engineering calls, I got to admit, I kind of threw it back. And I'm like, yeah, I screwed up. But you know what? You made three gear ratio changes within, you know, an hour of the race. Make up your damn mind. So it's on me. But keep in mind, you know, 
you you weren't exactly killing it either with your gear ratio choices and we yelled at each other and you know then we drove home 20 hours and yada 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 but anyways that's one that comes to mind for me i don't know if you've got any that come to mind you want to share if we should move on to the next question no i think you hit the nail on the head though i'm not going to call uh you know anybody i've worked with out because much like you alluded to you don't know the circumstances that uh you know a mistake was made um you know did they uh, were they put in a position where it was easier to make a mistake or not? So I think that comes back to like you talked about making lists. Uh, trust me, I've made mistakes. Uh, you know, if I had to pick one, I'm not afraid to call myself out. I guess, but you know, we missed qualifying in Milwaukee one year uh, simply due to you know not having the right tech time. So um, misunderstood the rules a bit, uh, pushing to get everything we could for qualifying and paid the price. So. Like you say, uh, every scenario could create a, a possibility for a mistake, and you know it's part of our job to limit those and uh, be prepared for them. All right, let's get to just a couple more, and then we are going to let you back to a fine Iowa afternoon. Uh, where <laughs> should we go? Where should we go? Let's go to Dan Glass. It's always a great question. Has Joseph been caught peeing in his car yet? specifically his race car thanks for mentioning that and dan that'd be that'd be kind of interesting just <laughs> rental car had to let it go and also asks who would get the nasty job of cleaning and disinfecting if it did happen is that one of those things that is the chief powers of delegation fall in your favor if such a scenario were to happen i suppose Post so I, I guess I, I've been lucky enough to not have to deal with that in my time as a chief. Uh, neither Leo or, or Joseph has, you know, given us any tough moments for as far as a uh, disinfectant uh, no perspective. Okay, yeah, we're pretty good living for us. The one I've mentioned this before a while ago in the podcast, but my first oh, I really feel sorry for that guy moment in IndyCar was in the eighties at some point in time where it might have been Allenser Jr. Who hit a rabbit and Ooh. it went into i think the right side pod and so things started overheating and all that and i just in my mind i had this little theater of how do you choose right because you know do you get all the crew right. members together and go like all right do you rochambeau it do you draw <laughs> straws what do you do because somebody ultimately <laughs> has to stick their hand into the side pod and pull out you know poor little fluffy you know there's let's just say that however the little fellow went in uh, he he wasn't looking the same um right. you know that's just one of those things i don't know we're not trying to get into too gross of stuff here but ultimately it's the same kind of thing that dan asked you like man if this thing that most people don't want to deal with happens what do you do? Is it arm wrestling? You know, the loser, it's some, a loser has to be chosen. This isn't something, this isn't meritorious service where someone steps up and says, I will reach in and pull out this clump of <laughs> former animal. Uh, so anyways, uh, let's see, let's go to, uh, let's go to Ryan Ward. We'll get serious here for a minute. It says, Travis, when does your team start building and massaging on its 2020 Indy 500 cars? Also asks, how many hours would you say goes in? to that car compared to the car that will say start the first race of the year at St. Petersburg? Yeah, good, good question. Uh, that's happening, uh, you know, to certain levels. Obviously every off season we have a process in place of, you know, we're going to do X, Y, Z to all of our chassis. Um, speedway chassis typically are 
are obviously prepared a little bit different. And that, that comes down to a lot of reasons, not just that it's a speedway car. It's the fact that, you know, you're going to put heavier parts on certain cars when it comes to body work. And, you know, you're not going to typically put a brand new underwing on a street course car to start the year at St. Petersburg to uh, risk damaging it. So, um, yeah, we're already working on our speedway cars to a certain level. Um, typically, we'll take those to a point. And uh, obviously, with this windscreen coming on for next season, that that's going to, you know, change some of those processes. So I think this year it's going to be pretty well determined by when those chassis can get updated. You know, IndyCar's done a great job to this point of getting those cars out on track, getting drivers in them, and they got a pretty good plan as far as getting every chassis updated. But that's obviously going to take some time. So I don't think we'll actually see our IndyCars. Um, in their finished state for, for a while. Um, but once we do, um, boy, it'd be tough to put hours into, into that just because so many parts come from different areas, whether it's a gearbox and uprights from subassembly, whether it's, you know, front wings, rear wings for Indy, uh, that's our first chance to go to speedway racing. Um, so obviously we have a lot of time to spend on those parts. So, uh, it, it'd be a big number, I don't think, though, actually, it'd be that much more than St. Petersburg, to be honest, because the time it takes to take it from a, a road course to a speedway, um, we spend a lot of time on all our cars. So, uh, you know, I don't think it would be a huge difference, actually. Interesting. All right, let's we're down to two. That pesky right. Gavine Ward guy is back. He says there's, and we should reveal for those who don't know, that's Joseph's race engineer, Gavin Ward. Uh, He says there's a popular legend going around, Travis, that you shaved your head just to get advanced warning of changing weather conditions for the final time in this visit to the week in IndyCar. Confirm or deny? 100% confirm, Marshall. You know, we were were struggling on those weather conditions, uh, at the speedway, you know, can give them a heads up on the wind even out there. So uh, definitely, I think it's made our group stronger for sure. I mean, I'm just trying to picture a, a shaved-headed Trevor Lacasse <laughs> or uh, Matt Johnson bald. I mean, that now that. <laughs> I mean, we'll see what we can do there. Well, but what does this tell us? They're not nearly as committed, huh, champ? I mean, look, there, there's cause and effects here, clearly. Those guys are leaving something on the table. I don't know. Lesson learned. Lesson learned. All right. We're going to go to our final question from our, our Tim friend. Good Lord. Words not come out of face good. From our friend Tim Calabro, who always sends in something either funny or insightful. He says, Travis, other than ensuring the car comes back in more pieces than you sent it out, what can drivers do to piss off their mechanics? And also conversely, other than being stupidly fast, what makes mechanics love their driver? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we've touched on a couple of these. And, you know, definitely when things aren't going well for whatever reason, um, whether it's setup struggles, whether it's, you know, getting a yellow flag when you're on a good run or whatever, whenever the, you know, the driver sets the tone for the crew, I think, and everybody looks up to that. So, you know, when the drivers in the media or just in the around the group, when they're in a positive, you know, sort of feeling, 
putting out that energy, um, that's good for everybody. And when it's the other side of that, when they're having a long day and, and I get it, it's, it's tough for all of us, but, um, everybody hears that and, and deals with that differently. And, you know, nobody wants to hear, Hey man, this car sucks. Uh, our setup's been junk all weekend, you know, not happy with whatever it is. Um, you know, obviously doesn't uh, motivate everybody to, uh, say, Hey, this guy's, you know, helping us out here. So, um, it would be a revelation if the car was third on the practice sheets or qualifying and the driver said, man, this thing is still way off from my liking. I wouldn't take that as a criticism necessarily. I would take that as a revelation. Like, whoa, you're that fast yet not happy. It's another thing when your guy's P21 and says the car is garbage and you go, really? Thanks. Yeah. We couldn't have figured that out by, you know, the numbers. <laughs> we understand that part. <laughs> the story's been told. Thanks for piling it on here. Yeah, uh, it's those scenarios where you go, you know, uh, the fact has been stated by what is on the sheet. Are you thinking of what's in the group's best interest? Or are you just wanting to vent your frustration without any real care how it might affect those around you who, you know, it's not like you're sitting around looking at your phone all the time, Travis, but maybe go and grab a quick bite, take a look and see some quote, you know, from my, I'm not saying it'd be your driver, but maybe with another team where you go, Ooh, that's a fine demotivator right there. So there's, you know, there's being thoughtful and then there's not. Right. Exactly. And, and the opposite side of that is when the drivers are thoughtful, uh, you know, they know when we've, you know, maybe the fans don't see it, but we had to change a gearbox overnight or, you know, went to a spare car. And when they come around and, you know, give each guy an attaboy afterwards, uh, you know, that goes pretty far. Whether it's uh, when in Texas this year, you know, Joseph went out and got everybody a cowboy hat uh, from Victory Lane <laughs> at a later date. You know, those are the things that, that make a team and uh, thick and thin you know, that, that team will be together much more likely and stick by each other's side and, uh, you know, go above and beyond. So those are the types of things that, um, you know, keep everybody working hard and, and staying positive, right or wrong. So, you know, Tim, I'll throw in one more and and, uh, Travis probably didn't because it's just more the norm for him because, the frickin' guys started out working at Team Penske. Um, but for those of us who've worked for um, the inverse uh, Team Penske's, there are certainly years where you are working with a driver and you know that by the law of averages in a 15, 17, 20 race calendar, you're going to have two or three good ones. But it's strictly the, the numbers telling you you're going to be okay at a couple, but the rest are going to be hot garbage. And for those who've worked with drivers where excellence is fleeting, having someone like a Joseph or a Simon or a Power where you can rule them out of the equation if you are not fast, that's another thing that I know from my own experience makes you love a driver. So all the the niceties and the, the interpersonal yeah. things, that stuff's awesome. It truly does make a difference. Another thing, though, 
is when you go, man, we were 11th in that session. It, you, it, it is a comfort. Maybe you can speak to this to close. It is a comfort to know, wasn't that guy in the seat? Uh, that person gave us 100%, always gives us 100%. That's a comfort because admittedly, Travis, not every team in IndyCar can say that about the person who's turning the steering wheel that you bolted onto the thing. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I consider myself fortunate in the fact that as in this position, you, you do get to hear the drivers you know, come in the intercom and, and interact with them, and, and you know when they've just wrung everything out of it that they can. And um, regardless of where you're at on the timesheet at that point, it's a matter of this guy's given it everything, fellas. And um, that's pretty cool to see. And when they do, whether it's good or bad, when it's bad, you know, you're not hanging your head on that. You're saying, all right, we got to get to work tomorrow, and this guy's given us everything. You know, next session, we got to give him a better race car. He's going to do the same thing. And we're going to be that much further up. So there's, you know, a lot of things every day that um, you may not think about at the time. Um, but just talking about it now, you you know, you think back to whatever session and, hey, guys, that was it. You know, they come in and that was the best you're going to get. And uh, that, that's pretty cool to be a part of that and uh, see that level of commitment. Uh, from them it it makes you want to work harder for sure the next day travis law you have been a gem my friend thank you so much for taking some time while you're on vacation so yet another reason to love you definitely giving some time here when you should be taking time for yourself also thanks i think you set the bar pretty high for uh (laughs) whether it's a ricky davis or run down the list any other uh, crew chiefs and chief mechanics that we're going to start having on the week in IndyCar here. Uh, I, I think I think they're going to have to study up. Um, they might be struggling to keep pace. So nonetheless, thanks again, man. I appreciate you and what you do, the uh, the character that you bring to what you do, the warmth that you bring to what you do. It's just always fun uh, seeing you on pit lane and uh, just seeing you present this pretty awesome program from the mechanical side for Joseph and the team to then go deliver upon. So thanks for taking some time here too, man. Yeah, thanks a lot, Marshall. Thanks for, you know, having me on. Hopefully, uh, you know, everybody enjoyed it. And uh, thanks for all the questions. And, uh, you know, can't say enough about, you know, this podcast and all the work that uh, that you do for us, making us look good and uh, keeping the fans coming. So uh, enjoy, and hopefully there's many more good ones to come. Thanks, my friend. And that was Travis Law, Chief Mechanic for Joseph Newgarden. Ah, what a great guy. Also, hopefully, fun little tidbits, little pieces of pro-grade tips from Travis. For those of you who love turning the old wrenches or working on your race car, plan on having more of those, more opportunities to maybe learn from the folks that do some things that are pretty amazing. Uh, I realize that getting into deep dissertations on Uh, engineering with fellow race engineers on the show while i might enjoy that i do know that for a lot of folks it's just not something you're going to come in contact with very often but uh, i would assume or hope that many of you do have a toolbox do have a car that you love and want to turn wrenches on it want to do something to it or maybe a race car that you have maybe when you volunteer on something so as the off season gets rolling more and more if you have questions 
on such things, let me know, and I will seek out guests where he and I or she and I can have those conversations that benefit you. All right. I am Marshall Pruitt. This is the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and a Week in IndyCar show brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets. Thank you for listening.